Amen. Thank you, Sister Bell, for that beautiful song. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of Titus over in the New Testament. The book of Titus. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Titus chapter two. If you're new to Bible reading, you're new to Bible study, you're new to church, you're new to the Christian life, you ought to learn your books of the Bible. It'll help you find stuff quicker than having to look it up in that table of contents. It's okay if you have to do it that way. But you want to learn those books of the Bible where you can find verses quickly. Titus, stand with us please. Chapter number two. Our uh, Christian school, they learn their books of the Bible in Miss Barron's K-5 class. And they, they rattle them off every year during our kindergarten graduation service. They lay, name out those books of the Bible. Uh, so I encourage you to memorize them. Familiarize yourself with your Bible. Amen. But in Titus chapter number two this morning, we're going to look at a couple of verses and uh, we're just going to kind of hunker down here. I don't think I'm going to finish this morning's message this morning. I'll finish it tonight. Uh, but that's just my way of getting you back tonight for the five o'clock service. Because you can't just listen to half a message, just like you can't eat half a steak. You have to eat the whole thing. Uh, I'm not saying this message is a steak. You can't eat a half a hot dog either, amen. You, you, you can't eat half of anything. You've got to eat the whole thing. We're going to get half of it this morning, introduction this morning, and the main meat of the message tonight. So just giving you a heads up. You say, well, that didn't make sense. Well, you've got to hear all of it. You've got to hear all of it. And unless you want to say it for two hours, I can preach both messages right now. It don't matter to me. Amen. Titus 2, are you there? Look at what it says in verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I want to preach on that for a little bit today. Zealous of good works. Lord, help us, I pray now, as we turn our hearts and our minds to the scriptures. I pray that you'd bring these verses alive for us. And I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to be saturated and settled in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. I want to begin this morning by saying that it is rare to find a Christian that could be described as zealous of good works. That phrase has really been on my heart for several days. A lot of Christians, when it comes to good works, they are hesitant. They are intimidated. They are afraid. They're cautious. They're undercover, incognito, camouflaged. They like to kind of blend in. Are y'all getting the point? But the church is commanded to be zealous of good works. What the New Testament church needs today is a healthy dose of zeal. When we think of uh, the words to describe Christians today and I think of words to describe churches today, unfortunately, zeal is not one of them. I think of words like apathy, coldness, complacency, uh, compromise, worldliness, indifference, distractions, 
but I don't think about zeal and being zealous. A person that has zeal has no room for all those other things. You can't be indifferent, cold, and complacent and be full of zeal at the same time. It's impossible. And I think it's interesting when we get to Revelation chapter number three, Jesus is talking about the church at Laodicea, talked about them being uh, in such a terrible state, miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. His formula, his remedy for them was in Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Then he said, be zealous therefore and repent. Churches need a good healthy dose of zeal being zealous of good works. Some of you are more excited about opening day for the Baltimore Orioles than you are about the church. Even with a, a record last year of 52 and 110. Come on now. 52 wins, 110 losses. By the way, they made the list of the top 10 worst teams in baseball last year. And some of you are more excited about opening day for the Baltimore Orioles than you are spiritual things. In fact, some of you right now are wanting to stand up and testify and tell me how that this year is gonna be any different. You're wanting, you're wanting to stand up right now and defend your, your, your blessed Orioles. Pastor, you just don't understand. Last year, this, this, and this, and, but this year, this, and this. You're more excited and hopeful and zealous about a bunch of losers all wearing matching shirts than you are spiritual things. Come on now. And I've got an Orioles jersey. And I'm, one of these years, I'm gonna dust it off and wear it in public. When I came up here in 2014, church gave me a jersey. It's got pastor on the back, right there, pastor. And the number 14, that was the year I came up here. And boy, the church gave me that. And I was so excited about that. It's been a while since I pulled that one out of the closet. <laughs> and I go, when I wear it, whenever I go to the game, I always wear it. And people's like tapping on the shoulder, Pastor, who, who's Pastor? Who played for the Orioles named Pastor? <laughs> That's the, that's, the, uh, that's the ball boy. That's my, that's my buddy down there. <laughs> They're massive underdogs to win. I actually pulled up, just out of curiosity, I pulled up on <laughs> the gambling website to see what the, what the over and under was for, and they basically just said, don't go there, don't do it. <laughs> you want to bet on the Orioles that said don't. Don't waste your money. Just throw it out in the yard if you want to waste it. Don't bet on the Orioles this year. Now, I didn't say that. That's what all the, uh, your buddies down in Las Vegas said about your favorite team. My point being is this. Some people get more excited about sports, even when their team's losing. They're more excited about carnal things, worldly things. There's more zeal, more passion, more fervency about those things than there are about spiritual things. And in our Bible, we find over and over and over again admonitions about being zealous unto good works. Before we get into the message, I want to just quickly bring up to speed. The book of Titus is a pastoral epistle. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a young man by the name of Titus, a young pastor. He had been assigned by Apostle Paul to go to the island of Crete, according to chapter one, verse number five, 
And his words were literally to set in order the things that are wanting. We know from Acts chapter number two that there were people from Crete that was in Acts 2 in Jerusalem that got saved at that Pentecost when all those 3,000 people got saved. There were people from Crete that got saved there. We assume that some of them may have gone back to Crete and they started churches and they started telling everybody what they knew, but there had not really been a solid discipleship effort put there. So Paul sent young Timothy, or young Titus rather, to go to Crete to set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. So that was what Titus's job was. And in the book of Titus, we find where his objective was to set in order the things that are wanting or things that were lacking, things that were missing. They were missing elders. The churches didn't have the proper leadership. They didn't have qualified leadership. They didn't have um, anybody in there to confront and, and face all the false teachers and liars and deceivers in the latter part of chapter number one. Those people needed to be confronted. They needed to be rebuked. According to verse number 13, they needed to be stopped. Their people's mouths needed to be shut. And they need to be somebody to go in there and do that. And so that was what Titus's job was, to ordain elders and to confront these false teachers and liars and, and deceivers and people that were subverting houses and whatnot. And then you get down to chapter number two and Paul began to give Titus a list of people he needed to disciple and things that need to be done. And he didn't leave out anybody. He talked about the aged men in verse number two. He talked about the aged women in verse number three. Uh, and gave them some encouragement, admonition. By the way, I just want to tag team off of what Brother Burner started yesterday. I, I, he was he was give a little devotion slash message to our senior saints yesterday before we ate. I mean, he had me fired up, and he was he was he was. I mean, he was pouring it on, and I, and I I got up behind him, and I said, I just need to testify for just a second. And I wanted to just emphasize to our senior saints how important they are in our church. Well, there's a lot of churches today that are kicking the elderly people to the curb. They're kicking them out. They don't have any room for them. They're not trying to accommodate them. They're not trying to see about them. They're not recognizing them and honoring them for their years of labor and service and involvement and contribution to the ministry. But one thing I really appreciated about Brother Bernie yesterday was it was more than just to pat them on the back and tell them what a blessing they are, but he was trying to help out a fire and he was trying to encourage and trying to motivate and spark our senior saints. And I got behind him and I said, listen, y'all like it when I work on these young people and you like it when I preach these children and you like it when I jump into these new converts and I get them discipled and we have the discipleship classes and you like it when the new recruits come in and we put them through boot camp with all the push-ups and all the obstacle courses. I said, but you senior saints, you're the ones with seniority. You're the captains and the majors and the colonels and the brigadiers. You've got the stripes and the ranks and you've got the medals and you've got the accomplishments that you wear. I said, you cannot be a wall no more than a new convert can be a wall. Amen. And in the book of Titus, he said, you need to tell the aged men, this is what they need to be doing. And the, and the aged women, this is what they need to be doing. And then you need to talk to the young women and talk to the young men. And boy, in Titus chapter number two, he didn't leave out anybody. He closes out chapter number two with the verse that we just read. Verse number 11 down through the remainder of the chapter. When I got to verse number 14, I was just looking at that statement, zealous of good works. That was the, that was the phrase I wanted to focus on. But I wanted to look at the context of that verse, that statement. 
And he was basically saying that the grace of God in verse number 11 that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, the same grace that saved us is the same grace that will teach us some things. We like saving grace, don't we? We like talking about the grace that is greater than our sin. We like the verses where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We like talking about saving grace, but what about the, the grace that comes after salvation that takes us to the next level in our Christian life? Teaches us some things. Verse number 12, the grace that brought salvation teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Well, the world's filled with ungodliness. World's filled with worldly lusts, perversion, ungodliness. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, verse number 12. Preacher, I love saving grace. What about this kind of grace? What about the kind of grace that separates us from the ungodliness in the world? And I, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out right here. This is just going to tweak some of you. And that's fine. That's my pet peeve is tweaking Baptist. I love it. Just don't squirm or make any really loud noises and nobody will know. My wife and I got married in 1995, July, 95. It'll be 27 years in July. And we went to Orlando, Florida on our honeymoon. And we boycotted Disney 27 years ago for their homosexual agenda. This is not anything new. But we got Christians today that give Disney more money than they give the local church. They spend more money on Disney than they do God and world missions. I didn't go 27 years ago. I sure, there ain't enough mules in Texas to drag me to that hell hole today. Bunch of perverts and sodomites and pedophiles trying to destroy our children and the hearts and minds of our children. I'm talking about the grace of God that bringeth salvation at the pier to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's what I'm talking about. For those of you that are watching online and you're all about boycotting fundamental churches and boycotting independent Baptist churches, if you're boycotting fundamental churches but you're not boycotting Disney, you're doing it wrong. Just thought I'd throw that out there and get that off my chest. Now I can preach. I feel better. Looking for that blessed hope, verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad Jesus is coming again, aren't you? Man, I'm looking more forward to the, the rapture than I am opening day. Keep going back to that. Some of y'all got it circled in red on your calendar. Opening day, you know who the starting pitcher's gonna be. I'm looking for the rapture. I'm looking for Jesus to come back. That's the day I'm looking forward to. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the way he worded that just for the heretics that don't believe Jesus was God. He worded that where you can't get around it. Amen. Verse 14, who gave himself for us. Here's our verse. Here's the context of our message. Who gave him self for us. If you want to outline verse 14, you can. We see the sacrificial death. Who gave himself for us. What a statement. Purchased us with his own blood. Amen. 
Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter number two, feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, the church of the living God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He gave himself for us. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He bought us with his own blood. We see the sacrificial death in the first part of verse 14. Then we see the spiritual deliverance that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Amen. Amen. He didn't redeem us to leave us living in a life of iniquity. Amen. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And I'm thankful that he didn't just save us in our sins, but he saves us from our sins. He came to redeem us from all iniquity. If preachers preaching on iniquity gets under your skin, you might not be redeemed. Let me say that again. If it tweaks you for a man of God to stand up and to point out and expose iniquity, you might ought to question whether or not you've ever been born again because when he came, he came to redeem us from all iniquity. Not excuse it. Not give us a free hall pass. Not give us a license to sin. We've been saved by grace through faith plus nothing minus nothing. Not by works and we believe in eternal security but he came and redeemed us from all iniquity. Can I get a witness? We see the sacrificial death. We see the spiritual deliverance. We see the sanctified disciples that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Preacher, y'all, this is my first time here. I'm looking around. Y'all are peculiar. Kind of the plan. By the way, that word peculiar doesn't mean weird. It doesn't mean strange. It literally means belonging to or possessed by. We are a possessed people. We belong to him. Amen. That's what peculiar people means. That's why we're supposed to be different. Supposed to be different. Supposed to be. Just feel it. Just kind of gets a little bit. Preacher, I came to get my ears tickled. You didn't read the fine print on our website. We don't do that here. I'm not a massage therapist. I'm a preacher. And the Bible's very clear. He came to purify unto himself a peculiar people. By the way, that purifying is an ongoing process. When you live in this filthy world, When you live in this nasty, filthy, perverted, ungodly society, it is a continual process. Amen. Well, I had a bath Saturday. I don't need one today. I had a bath Monday. I don't need one today. You need a bath. We have to teach our kids when they come in on our Christian school. We look at them like, uh, when's the last time you had a bath? I dealt with this in chapel, but y'all wasn't here Thursday. When's the last time you had a bath? Some of y'all smell like the north end of a southbound mule. You got to bathe every day. Amen. You got to get right with God every day. You got to have revival every day. You got to be purified every day. Amen. Amen. Purified themselves a peculiar people, and here's our text zealous of good works. We see the saints' desire, if you're outlining that verse. The saints' desire, zealous of good works. One of the most notable characteristics of a revived believer is zealous 
of good works. That word zealous in Titus 2.14 is the Greek word zelates, which means one burning with zeal. Burning with zeal, used of God as, a, as jealous of any rival and sternly vindicating his control, most eagerly desirous of, zealous for, to defend and uphold a thing, vehemently contending for a thing. That's what that word zeal means. As a matter of fact, there was a group of people in the Bible days known as zealots. This was a person that showed zeal, excessive, zealous people. They were called fanatics. They were fanatical. As a matter of fact, there was actually a group of Jews in the first century that were called zealots from the time of Maccabees. There existed among the Jews a class of people called zealots who vigorously adhered to the Mosaic law and endeavoring even by uh, uh, resorting to violence to keep that law from being broken or violated. In the latter days of the Jewish commonwealth, it was used more or less as an excuse for just being a crook and a criminal and getting into all kind of mischief and crimes. But the truth of the matter is one of the disciples that Jesus called in Luke 6.15 was Simon called Zelates. He was a zealot. Here's the point that I want to make. Being zealous is nothing new. The problem is it seems like everybody is zealous today but the people that should be zealous. Old Testament kings had zeal for God. I was reading this morning in 2 Kings 10. If you don't turn over there, if you turn over there, I'm going to get bogged down. Let me give you a quick summary of 2 Kings chapter number 10. There was a man over there by the name of Jehu. And he said in verse number 16, this is 2 Kings 10, 16. He said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And he called this other man up and had him ride in his chariot. And I thought, well, now that's a good verse. Come see my zeal for the Lord. Oh, I want to preach on that. I'm going to change my title from zealous of good works to come see my zeal for the Lord. And then I backed up and read the whole chapter and I said, I probably ought not to go there this morning. Because what he did in that chapter, he found the 70 sons of Ahab, killed all of them, cut their heads off, put them in baskets, took them to the entering end of the gate and dumped them out and made two big heaps. And you want to talk about getting ahead in life? That's one way to do it. <laughs> but that ain't all. Then a group of people came up to him and they found out who they were and he killed 42 of them. Then, here's what he said. He said, I want you to go find all of the prophets of Baal and all of the Baal worshipers. He said, of all the people in our past that has worshipped Baal, nobody's ever worshipped Baal like, we, like I'm going to worship Baal. We're going to have a worship service for Baal like has never been had. And the Bible says they went throughout all the land and they found all the worshipers of Baal and all the prophets of Baal and they put them in the house of Baal and then he sent spies in and said, now you go in there and make sure there are no followers of God in the place. No worshipers of the true Jehovah God. And so they went in and made sure there was only Baal worshipers in there. And then he got four score men circle the place. And here's what he said to them. He says, if you let any of them out alive, I'm going to kill you. And the Bible says they went in and killed every single Baal worshiper and priest in the house of Baal. And the Bible says this in 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 28. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. <laughs> oh my goodness, preacher. That's just a little far-fetched. You think? 
Old Testament king, come see my zeal for the Lord. You want to see what zeal looks like? This is what it looks like right here. Everybody still with me? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get y'all to go do that. I'm telling you what he did. I'm going to get to us in a minute, all right? Just take a deep breath. Some of y'all are like, wow, that's a little much. You think? You get over to Romans chapter number 10, the apostle Paul even talked about the nation of Israel and the zeal that they had. Here's what he said in Romans 10, verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. By the way, they still have a zeal of God. You can go to Israel today. You can go to Jerusalem today. I've been there. I've been to the Western Wall. Been there. And underneath that mountain is a, is a, is a little synagogue, a little place where they meet and those people under there, ain't, they ain't playing. In fact, when Brother Sasser and I went, he said, you put, need to put one of these, what's it, a kippah? What's that, kippah? You need to put this kippah on. Put this on, you can't go over there. You can't go up in this area near this wall without that kippah. Of course, trying to get that thing to stay on my short hair was fun. <laughs> it kept wanting to slide off. I put that thing on and we went up in there and then we went up, when you go up there, you go to the left and there is, a, there is a synagogue up in that mountain carved out of that rock. Am I right, Brother Sasser? I remember this. And we got up in there and there was bookshelves with scrolls and manuscripts and all the writings of the rabbis. And there was people in there praying, Jewish people in there praying. And I'm telling you what, buddy, I've been to a lot of Baptist camp meetings and, and conferences. I've been to a bunch of youth conferences. I've been to all night prayer meetings and I've seen very few Christians praying with the fervency that those people were praying. I'm talking about standing there, standing there and praying like this, putting their hands on that wall and putting their face on that wall and rubbing that wall for hours and taking prayer requests and wrap them up in little pieces of pride on a piece of paper and stick them in the cracks. Those cracks of the wall, the, the, the western wall, people call it the Wayland Wall. It was filled, the, the cracks and crevices were filled with prayer requests and people go there and they pray and the zeal and the passion and the fervency that they have. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 10. A zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. It's a man-made, man-works, works-based religion. But the New Testament nation of Israel had that, that kind of zeal. The, Pharisee, the Pharisees, the Saul before he became the apostle Paul, Several times referred to himself as being zealous. Listen to this. I'm going somewhere. Just hang in there with me just a minute. Galatians chapter number one, verse 13 and 14. For you've heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation. Being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. That's how Paul described himself. More exceedingly zealous. He was so fired up. He was so excited. He was so motivated by the Jewish religion that they paid him to go and arrest Christians. Gave him papers. 
Go in, Bible says, and arrest Christians and destroy those home churches, the early church. He was an enemy of the early church. He got that because of his zeal. He said it again in Philippians chapter number three when he's giving his testimony. Verse number five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He described himself several places as being full of zeal for all the wrong things. By the way, before salvation, there is always a zeal, but it's not under good works. Right. It's under the, all the wrong things. Look in our text. Look at our text in Titus chapter number one. We're, we're in Titus chapter number one. Don't you see this? This is, this, is the, this is the unbelievers. Verse number 16. This is Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. We're talking about being zealous of good works. But in works they deny him, being abominable. And disobedient. Look at this. And unto every good work, reprobate. That was the attitude of the unbeliever. That was the description of people that are not saved. Their attitude and heart towards good works is reprobate. By the way, that word reprobate literally means not standing the test or not approved. So he describes the unbelievers and those that are lost and those that do not know God as towards every good work reprobate. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not want that ever to be said about me. That toward good works, I would ever be described as being unapproved, not passing the test. As a matter of fact, as I begin to study the scriptures, I begin to find over and over, even in the book of Titus, the apostle Paul emphasized the importance of a child of God being zealous of good works. Now, listen to me. There's a difference in being zealous of good works and being tolerant of good works. We got a lot of Christians that are okay with people doing good works. They're, they're, they approve of it. They don't mind sitting back and watching or even clapping and cheering somebody on, but they could not be described as zealous of good works. What we need today is saved, sanctified, spirit-filled Christians with some zeal about good works. Look at just in the book of Titus. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Look at Titus 2.7. Titus chapter 2, verse number 7, and all things showing thyself. By the way, he's talking to the young men. Young men, look up in here. This is, this is Paul talking to Titus. Paul told Titus, when you get to Crete, I want you to set in order the things that are wanting. I want you to set the young men down, and I want you to teach them. In verse number 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. He told the young men to be a pattern of good works. Not just the old people. Are y'all getting this? Is this too much Bible for y'all? Is everybody all right? See y'all going to sleep on me. That's all I got is Bible this morning. Three pages of it. I don't have an outline, but I got Bible. Here's what he said to the young men. Here's what he said to the young men. Look at it. In all things... Showing thyself a pattern of good works. So we see Paul talked about being a pattern, an example. You know what a pattern is, don't you? A pattern is what you make other things from. A lot of times when I'm building stuff, if I got to make a bunch of them, I'll cut one and then I'll write pattern on it. And then I'll trace it out on all the other ones and that's my pattern. 
You ladies that make dresses, you use a pattern. Uh, I guess maybe somebody in here makes dresses. <laughs> I forgot what century I was in. But anyway, it's probably an old illustration. Forget that. Pattern. You should be a pattern. He said you ought to be able to be a pattern for other young men in the area of good works. It's pretty strong, isn't it? We see a pattern of good works in Titus 2.7. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. We see a readiness to every good work. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work. Look at chapter 3, verse number 8. We see a carefulness to maintain good works. Chapter 3, 8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain Good works. That means just don't do them every now and then. That means all the time, constantly maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Look at verse number 14. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. That's just in the book of Titus. Three chapters, he talks about good works four or five times. There's other places in the scripture that emphasizes the importance and the zeal of good works and the zeal for good works. Ephesians chapter two, verse number 10. But we like Ephesians two, eight and nine. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Well, we like that. Not of works, salvation, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works, but once we get saved by grace through faith, God has ordained us to live a life of good works. We were created unto good works. We should be prepared unto every good work. 2 Timothy chapter two and verse number 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. I like that. If you walk in my library, walk in my library, I've got a, I've got a little sink there and I've got a, a microwave and I've got a coffee maker and I've got coffee cups. I got a whole bunch of coffee cups, different kinds coffee cups and glasses and mugs. And I make a point, whenever I use one, I always wash it. I wash it and set it to the side so that the next time I come in there and I want a cup of coffee, I don't look in the bottom of it and it's got that gunk in it that you have if you don't clean out your coffee cup. You ever seen the bottom of a coffee cup when there's a little bit of coffee left in it and you just leave it on the counter? That's nasty. That's like something in a science lab. Stuff growing in there. That cup is not prepared unto every good work. Amen. But after you wash it and you clean it and you set it to the side, you can put coffee in it or you can pour cocoa in it or you can drink water in it or you can orange juice, whatever you want to do because it's been sanctified and it's been prepared unto every good work. That's what we're supposed to be. Colossians chapter number one, verse number 10, we should be fruitful in every good work that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Fruitful in every good work. 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our theme this year is more. I think more good works is in order, don't you think? Being fruitful unto every good work. But he's not finished. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 21, he says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. I mean, it just gets tougher. He just keeps raising the bar. He don't just say be ready for every good work. Don't just have an attitude of it. Don't just be zealous, but I want you to be perfect in every good work. Some of y'all act like I'm preaching on paying taxes this morning. You ain't said a word. <laughs> By the way, that's coming up. Yeah. And you're supposed to pay your taxes. I didn't know what I'm preaching on, but I just thought since we're getting close to April, I thought I'd just mention that. <laughs> now y'all want me to get back on good works, don't you? <laughs> what was his remedy to the church of Laodicea? Be zealous right. and repent. I'm going to say this and I'm done. I'm not done. I'm just going to put a plug in it and come back. I'm going to come back tonight and I'm going to preach the message. That was introduction. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. I've been in church my whole life. I hate dead churches. I said, I hate dead churches. I despise dead churches. I've been to churches before, and about 10 minutes into it, I thought to myself, if I was a member of this church, I wouldn't come here. I'd stay home. If I was a, if I was a person in this community and I visited this church, I don't even think I'd stay for the whole service. There have been times I stayed for the whole service just because people knew I was there and they knew who I was. I wanted to leave about 10 minutes into it because there was zero zeal. I've been to funerals that had more zeal in it than a lot of churches. It's bad when there's more life in a funeral than there is in a church. We're celebrating Resurrection Sunday here next week. We serve a risen Savior. We need, some, we need to preach a message on some risen saints. Need to be resurrected from the dead. I heard about a man the other day who had a fatal heart attack in the middle of the service. They called 911. They hauled 10 people out, thought they got the right one. <laughs> Zealous of good works. I wonder this morning, seriously, seriously, this morning, I didn't, get into, I didn't even get into the meat of the message. This was just the introduction. Where do you measure up on the zeal for good works? Heads bowed, eyes closed. We've got baptisms getting ready, but the altar's open right now. We need an altar full of people. That even before the message tonight, we'd get in this altar and say, Lord, help me to be full of fire and zeal and passion and excitement and fervency for good works. That's what we've been created and ordained to do our whole life. That's why he left us here that's why he left the church here. That's why he didn't take us home 30 seconds after we got saved. Why he didn't just take us on up to heaven. He left us here to do good works. And that involves a lot of things. But you won't be any of those things without the zealousness and the zeal for good works. There may be someone here this morning say, Pastor Shifflett, I needed that message. I've gotten weary and well-doing. 
maybe I've lost some of my zeal for good works. I needed that message. I needed that reminder this morning. Would you slip your hand up? Would you slip your hand up? Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Hands are going up all over the place. God bless you. You can put them down. Let me ask this question. There may be somebody here today say, Pastor Sheffield, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I, I think I would. I hope I would. But I cannot say for certainty, 100% certainty that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. And I would appreciate it if you would pray for me. I'd like to know that before it's too late. Would you slip your hand up so I can see you? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Anybody anywhere, would you slip your hand up quietly right wherever you might be? Just slip your hand up so I can see it. Anybody? If you're watching online, there's a phone number on the screen. If you'll text that number, if you'll text that, that, no, that phone number, somebody will call you in just a few minutes with a Bible and over the phone do our best to try to help you.